Hi, you're listening to EG Property Podcasts. I'm Pui Guan Man, the news editor at EG. It's the day after the budget and Chancellor Rishi Sunak has now set out his spending plans to tackle the gigantic economic costs from the COVID-19 pandemic. With so many jobs and sectors relying on the government's support, real estate is of course just one part of the equation, but is nonetheless a fundamental part. Will the budget deliver enough to support property and foster investment? And what's next for the UK's landlords as the biggest tax burden since the 1960s looms? In today's podcast, two leading real estate experts will be sharing their views on what this latest budget means for property. Joining us today are Melanie Leach, Chief Executive of the British Property Federation, and Walter Betcher, UK Chief Economist at Colliers International. Welcome. So this latest budget, there's quite a lot to unpack. Does it mean good things for real estate? Not so good things? Or are you feeling indifferent about it all? Walter, let's start with you. Well, first off, thanks for having me. Good morning. Um, First off is typically uh, my experience is is that uh, the budgets never really usually target commercial real estate uh, in any great degree. It's usually uh, the the impacts that we feel are usually indirect and unintended quite often. I think the residential market is a little bit different and clearly there were some policies that went forward there. Uh, From my own perspective, I probably tend to look at this more from an operating economic point of view uh, in the in the sense that uh, my greatest fear before the budget was announced is that the fledgling uh, improvement in business confidence that drives the occupier markets, for instance, in the in the offices sector uh, would somehow be undermined by some heavy handed um, uh, policies that would suddenly uh, make investors start to question uh, the UK again. Yeah, the the greatest win that I see out of this budget is that I think he struck a best that is uh, palatable uh, to all of those uh, uh, businesses that have been sitting on their hands since, say, 2016, the vote to leave, uh, and very slow in decision making. I think already with the uh, the departure from the EU and the EU and UK trade deal, however flawed it may be, did actually bring quite a lot of certainty for businesses. And I think already in January and February, judging by uh, looking at the number of viewings that we're having in London office markets, for example, would suggest that that hiatus in uh, decision making and movement finally is being broken. So I was absolutely uh, uh, terrified that we were somehow going to uh, score an own goal with the uh, the budget. But from what I can see, there's enough stimulus in there and enough balance, I think, to where sentiment uh, probably has not been negatively impacted. Having said that, looking at financial markets movements, uh, sterling is virtually unchanged uh, across the budget. Uh, FTSE moves slightly, but not very much. Uh, bond rates are stable. So I, if, if he was trying not to make waves, I think he managed to do that. And I think at the same time, he's probably built a bit of confidence. That's fair enough. Um, Melanie, uh, what about you? I mean, you've been actively voicing landlords concerns all the while and and banging the drum for property. Do you feel like the government has listened to the property sector's needs? Um, Well, I think I'd agree with um, Walter's starting point, which is, you know, it's it's no surprise at one level, but it's disappointing that, you know, the budget doesn't really seem to have thought about the essential role that commercial real estate is going to play in the levelling up agenda, in the recovery agenda. Um, and that's 
that's quite frustrating. I mean, even the, um, you know, the, the new uh, super reduction tax incentive, you know, applies only to plant and machinery and not to investment in the structure of buildings. Now, that feels like a huge missed opportunity to really incentivise the investment in, you know, repurposing, reshaping our town centres in decarbonising the built environment, you know. Um, and I, you know, we'll be making that case to them really strongly as, as they take take that proposal forward and implement it. So, you know, and I think there wasn't really still a clear, broader narrative around levelling up. I mean, there is, you know, clearly there were some significant announcements. The Freeport's announcement was really mostly about who's, who are going to be the Freeports rather than the detail. We already knew quite a lot of the detail, but that's a really significant set of incentives there to try and drive economic activity which is welcome and one of the things we'll be looking at is is that a model that you could also use for town centre recovery actually to create those kind of investable zones Um, so a bit short on the long term you know which is frustrating for a long-term industry that invests capital for the long term and wants to see that real long-term vision but obviously you know we were looking really closely at retail hospitality and leisure in particular you know and, and a lot of you know, necessary and important short-term further relief for those sectors. And as we try and work with them as economic partners to drive, you know, football back into our town centres to get things open again, you know, to to tap into all of our sort of pent-up social frustrations and need and want to come together. That, I think, is, you know, been, was really important. You know, there'll be a debate about whether it's enough and it's gone far enough, but I think, you know, there's clearly a very significant package of support there, which is welcome. You know, frustrating that business rates have been kicked down the road again for the long term, but you know we'll have we'll have lots more chances to talk about that I suspect over the next few months. <laughs> yes, I agree. I mean, I feel like we've had this conversation about uh, rates and in particular the delay to rates reform in in general almost every every budget it feels like it's been postponed again every time we catch up, Melanie. Um, is there an element of maybe the government thinking that another extension to the rates holiday is enough to appease everyone? I don't think so. Um, I think I think it was necessary. You know, they, they trailed it sometime in advance. Businesses needed to know that. Uh, I think it was necessary. Um, but I don't think they, for one moment, think that's enough to sort of have solved the business rates challenge and problem. I think they're well aware there is a, a structural and fundamental problem there. The challenge is what they're going to do about it. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Um, I mean, I guess on the rates um, question, I was wondering, you know, at the moment, it looks like, you know, companies can opt out of rates relief. Um, do you think, uh, Melanie, the government should have been uh, firmer on sort of actively restricting the rates holiday from sort of the larger, well-capitalised companies that might sort of take advantage of the gesture rather than leaving it up to them or, or, or do you think that it's um uh you know I mean I mean do you think it's a symptom of kind of the wider approach the government has taken towards the relationship between sort of commercial occupiers and, and landlords I mean I think we, we've called on the government consistently um in the context of the debate around the rent moratoriums you know to be much clearer in calling out bad behavior and much clearer in terms of saying, you know, the kind that what it expects from the business community. Uh, and I think they they could have done that in the context of business rates and, you know, whether you should be accepted and just as they should, could have done in terms of their grant schemes. Uh, and I think they, you know, they, they should be and should have been in terms of, you know, the, that group of well-capitalised businesses who've not paid rent for a year, you know, and that means that anyone from small investors who put their life savings into property have had no income from them for a year um, to, you know, all of our 
pension funds and savings funds that are invested into large property companies, you know, and local authorities. You know, local authorities are also big landlords. You know, we all know the desperate state of local desperate state of local authority finances and the additional burden that COVID's put on them. You know, and not to pay rent when you can do to that to that group of you know local authorities, pension savings funds. You know, shame on them. And I think the government should be much stronger. Should have been much stronger in calling that out. Indeed, I, Walter, I see you nodding along. <laughs> Well, I'm just thinking that I'm, I'm glad that Melody's getting all the uh, rating questions. Uh, I've sort of uh, dismissed it in my own mind because of the, just the sheer complexity of it. But I also think that the sheer complexity of the rating system and how to replace it is a problem that nobody seems to have been able to grapple with for at least a generation now. And if the government could do anything to kick the can down the road uh, a little bit further, uh, then I think that's probably what they're aiming for. Also, we have the new evaluation date. Uh, that's coming up or postponed, or I've, I've even lost the, the plot of that sort of story. But I think it's just uh, the sheer complexity of how to uh, replace it, especially in the setting of maybe uh, a large-scale shift in uh, in uh, rents uh, within the retail sector and whether they're going to suddenly become turnover-based and variable from year to year and all the rest of it. And, and goodness knows how they're going to integrate that into the uh, rating equation. The other thing that Bellamy was uh, talking about, the leveling up agenda, it's something that I've been looking at pretty closely for a good long while. I've written a few papers on what I call the regional revolution series, uh, how I think things should be played out. And I've, I've, I share the, the frustration that, that Melanie does, maybe from a, perhaps even a slightly different angle. Um, the uh, One of the things that struck me about the budget, and I looked through the 107-page the document or whatever it was, and uh, I think it was table 2.1, that had a map of the UK and showed all the various projects that were receiving some funding and whatnot. And the thing that struck me is that uh, it was not linked or the the, uh, the projects were not linked as tightly to the uh, the uh, local uh, development, uh, local combined authorities as I thought it might be. You know, back in uh, early 2000s or not 2000, but 2010s, uh, it was Osborne, had started doing the devolution and setting up the uh, combined authorities and getting the mayors elected and all the rest so that they could become sort of a tool of uh, channeling limited uh, central government funds into the region so that they could be matched by private sector funds, i.e., you know, the uh, the institutions of this world, pension funds and all the rest of it, to really uh, push the uh, regional development agenda forward. You know, I always saw central government as never having enough money to do everything that needs to be done. And the only thing that they really can do is probably two things. One is put seed funding into projects. And I think probably if you look at the West Midlands and Andy Street, who above all the mayors, he really understands how the system is meant to work. And he's worked it, uh, took something like about a 50 or 60 million uh, pound grant from some years ago and turned it into a billion plus project in the transformation of central Birmingham. And that's the model I think that uh, really needs to be pushed forward across the country to, in order to actually achieve the leveling up that goes on. On the other side, the sort of scattergun approach to uh, investing and throwing the money out wide does actually probably uh, a great psychological service, uh, you know, for the, certainly for the people in, uh, in, uh, in, in some of the lagging areas that things are being done. So there's a visual thing that comes out, you know, you can see on the street when you walk down the high street or something, that things are happening that that does perhaps have a confidence building role. But I think that the fundamental uh, game that needs to be played is not yet really uh, fully in motion. 
And uh, we'll have to see, too. We got some, uh, the next mayoral elections are coming up in about, uh, well, May. And uh, there are some people, I think, I'm looking at uh, Jarvis up in, uh, in Sheffield, for example, Sheffield City region. I think he is finally sort of on track uh, with Andy Street in terms of things that need doing. We've got a new mayor that's going to probably be uh, coming in in, um, in out in the west of well, Bristol, uh, west of England, combined authority, um, as the other one steps down. So we'll have to see uh, uh, whether they get it, as it were. But there's quite a lot to do. And the Freeports is a whole different story. I've, I've always quite liked ports and big infrastructure. And so in some respects, it's exciting uh, to look at and to think about, you know, how it's going to work in practice is another matter. I, I can't see there's critics of it. And I don't completely understand the criticisms. Uh, all I see is the opportunity, um, having done a little bit of shipping in my past too, by the way, of uh, being able to move goods in and out without any sort of tax implications with value add going on just seems to me like a winning proposition. Yeah, I mean, with the free ports and, you know, Leeds and Darlington set to become new economic hubs and, and more city and city and growth deals and, and the one billion pounds from the from the town fund to level up another 45 um, towns. I mean, would it be fair to say this has been a more regional and less London centric budget than usual? Well, I'll, I'll start with that one. I think I, I was arguing with the PR department about uh, what the headline for our press release should be yesterday <laughs> and uh, i thought one of them was uh one of the ideas was uh, uh finally not a london budget or uh or uh, this is all about the regions or something of this sort so yeah i do think that there was a real shift of focus intentionally away from london um which i i i, I also saw as a really positive message and also i think to the announcement of the infrastructure bank up in leeds that was meant to be the rabbit out of the hat i suppose um yeah, and then also shifting uh, HM Treasury campus to uh, Darlington, Teesside. Yeah, I was thinking uh, all about that, that whole section there, uh, Teesside and uh, Middlesbrough and all the rest of it. It's uh, It's got some really interesting possibilities because of some of the green uh, agenda items that are on uh, that have been developing over the years with Siemens and a few of the others and all the rest of it. So I think that was probably pretty well targeted. You know, but was it a London budget? No, it wasn't a London budget. Matter of fact, if you read the FT today, uh, they're all a bit uh, scandalized about the idea that uh, corporate uh, rate of taxation is going to go up to 25% in a couple of years' time. You know, I got I was I had mixed emotions about it, but uh, the fact they kept the capital gains tax al- alone, I thought was uh, actually a winning proposition. Uh, uh, that, that was one of the things I was actually really concerned about from a from a property point of view. Oh, I'd love to come back to that point, but um, first off, Mel, what what do you think? I I, I don't disagree with Walter at all. I think it was, you know, uh, meant to signal a very definite shift in focus and um, concentration on the regions. Um, but without wanting to sound too churlish, I'd make two or three points, sort of, in relation to that. I mean, firstly, you know, the sums of money that the government's been announcing, you know, historically in terms of the town's fund and things like that and announced yesterday, you know, sound huge, but in the context of the scale of the challenge of levelling up, you know, are nowhere near enough, um, you know, and the risk is that actually, you know, unless they're careful, that sort of, you don't get that even the bang for the buck, you get less than the bang for the buck because there's, you know, it gets scattered around um, and is not enough in any one place to really have the impact they want to have. Um, the second point is that, you know, you could argue um, that actually the best way to really drive a levelling up agenda 
is to focus slightly less on shifting people out of London and more on shifting powers out of London uh, to devolved authorities and to local leaders alongside the finance so that they can really run with it because they understand their areas best they're going to drive that local economic agenda um, and the third one is you know that um, at the same time as sort of handing out and announcing large sums of money for new investment you know public spending is still got a squeeze put on it you know local authority funding is still reducing you know and how are local authorities meant to deliver quite a lot of the ambition because they're going to be fundamental to this as well you know in our own parochial area just think about planning but you know there's in lots of other ways local authorities are key to this you know and it would be great to see an investment in local public sector structures more powers for local areas alongside the significant investments that the government's making um and there's there's a lot to comb through. So um, I admit I might have, have sort of missed something on this front, but I couldn't see anything on the um, extended moratoriums on evic evictions, for example, or, you know, winding up petitions or a digital sales tax. I mean, were, were there any surprises on that front? Um, I guess, um, Melanie, I'll throw that question to you first. <laughs> I'm sure that's coming my way. Um, you didn't see anything because there wasn't anything. Um, it, it, is the short answer. Um, what I think is that, you know, the, the package of support that's been announced for tenants, you know, should encourage the minority of tenants who've not yet engaged with their property owners to come to the table, you know, because they've got a year's worth of rent arrears, some of them built up, um, and they're, they're going to have to face up to that at some point. Um, and, you know, a rational landlord will want to have that conversation, but will also want to have the conversation in the context of, you know, rebuilding together uh, a viable and sustainable future. You know, yet again, the Chancellor ignored our pleas, you know, to extend rates relief to empty rates. So, you know, why would a rational landlord want to evict a tenant, have no possibility of income, have a dead building, not a building that's coming back to life? and be stuck with an empty rates bill in, in a few few weeks time, you know, that doesn't make any sense. It's not sensible to do that. So, you know, we know that most property owners and their tenants are working well together, have reached new agreements. And we know that that is to some extent driving a resetting of the market that needs to happen. So a rational tenant, it feels to me, you know, should be looking at the fact that they've got enough confidence, enough of a platform to focus on rebuilding over the next few months and say there's one big thing I haven't dealt with, I now need to deal with this too. And I should be confident in doing that because if I think about what mo will motivate my, my landlord, you know, it feels to me like this is the right time to have that conversation. Yeah, that makes sense. I think also we need to uh, wait and see how this, uh, the unlocking is going to proceed to, you know, judging by our property management division at Colliers uh, and looking at the collection rates and whatnot, um, quite frankly, I, I, I think they've surprised the upside in some respects, given the uh, severity of the of the hit and the fact that this was a government mandated closure of business, you know, all the rest of it. Hence, uh, the government does have a certain responsibility to step into, I think, too. But I think also uh, the chancellor has been fairly generous in in terms of extending the supports that he has. And I, I, I know exactly what he's thinking. He's thinking that, you know, by midsummer. Uh, maybe things back on an even track uh, and suddenly uh, by the way uh, in the background we've got uh, something like 150 billion worth of uh, uh, cash reserves sitting in uh, consumers bank accounts uh, that uh, probably will start to move 
uh, quite rapidly when we have the capacity to go out and actually spend it somewhere. But equally, there are those uh, businesses too that are sitting on significant cash reserves, not necessarily in the retail sector, not necessarily in the in the leisure sector and all the rest of it, which could uh, could mean that by uh, midsummer we could have a, a pretty significant surge in the economy, and then maybe we start to make up uh, uh, some of the lost ground. I was looking at uh, somebody asked me specifically the other day. Uh, uh, one of the investors, we've been doing a lot of investment reports recently. Like, what's uh, one of the questions they ask is, when is the pandemic going to be over? And uh, somebody, how else did they phrase it? When are we going to reach herd immunity? Well, uh, I read that the UCL, uh, University College London uh, Epidemiology Department, uh, has said that by mid July that that was a possibility. And if that's the case, then maybe. Uh, maybe a lot of these problems will start to uh, uh, erode themselves. And maybe if we have uh, some sort of provision so that we can have a, a period of uh, normalization when people have a chance to catch up with the rears and things of this sort, or maybe there is even some compromises on behalf of the landlords recognizing the pandemic that we've been through. You know, not, uh, not all landlords are, are evil people, by the way. When you read the press somehow, I think sometimes you, uh, you know, these rentiers or as it were, are, are uh, sort of miscast. In fact, they're linked to our pension funds and a lot of other very important things in the economy. Absolutely, yes. A, a, a crucial point um, that hopefully the, the government has um, gotten a little better at understanding, but uh, but yeah, no, um, I'm totally with you on that one. Um, just to return to kind of an early, the one of the earlier points that you were making, um, Walter, I mean, on the whole, are you feeling reassured by how um you know rishi is balancing the books for long-term economic recovery i mean you know the government's planning to spend uh, a whopping 352 billion i think it was um in, in support packages this year and the next and you know we might be facing the biggest tax burden since the 1960s um you know that that being on the horizon i mean are you are you feeling reassured by his approach i i guess Yes, at the moment, I'm not sure what else he could have done, quite frankly. Like I say, the main value of the budget to me right now is that it allayed my fears rather than gave me great confidence. Um, but going forward, I think it's we're going to have to see how the recovery pans out. And also, I guess the other part of that uh, question is uh, what's going to happen with the interest rates, you know, because uh, at the moment, even though uh, uh, the debt level has gone up from 80 percent of GDP in the last year to 100 percent of GDP, interest rate payments on the uh, outstanding debt has fallen from an annual rate of around uh, 48 billion down to about 38 billion. I think that'll start to turn now that uh, interest rates are starting to creep up a little bit. But what it suggests to me that at least for the uh, short to medium term, the debt is certainly sustainable. Uh, beyond that point, and don't forget, we got an election out there too, by the way, 24, 25. And I think that the timing of some of these measures, you know, if I was going to be completely cynical, uh, might have certain uh, political connotations too. Uh, then I think we're probably in a position to reevaluate how we set up some sort of long-term financing for whatever residual uh, debt that we're going to need to deal with. And that's something that I think we still have time to uh, to work with. We're, we're not, uh, we don't have to panic about that just yet. Melanie, what do you think? Um, I, 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 I largely agree with Walter. I mean, I think, you know, everyone's realistic and understands that, you know, with such significant support and government spend, borrowing and spending, you know, that's got to be paid back somehow. And, you know, as citizens, you know, we, don't, we, we, we know that's right, I think. Um, 
uh, you know, and I agree with Walter's assessment, you know, that there's sort of a lot of politics in the way that, you know, it's been positioned so far. Um, and, you know, who knows what decisions will need to be made over the next couple of years if, if things don't go according to the, the current plan. I suppose, you know, in the detail of it, you know, the corporation tax um, rise that's coming, um, you know, it remains to be seen, you know, we're probably not the best sector to judge whether or not, you know, he's, he's judged that right. Um, what will be particularly important to us, I think, is given the amount of debt financing in um, in real estate is, you know, how the detail of how uh, corporation tax profits are calculated um, so that, you know, we, we don't we don't find that, you know, the interest rate, the interest payments get caught in that, you know, um, so we don't look artificially as if we're making profits when actually um, the debt funding that's underpinning that, it, you know, would tell you quite a different picture. If, you know, so that, that will be one of the things we'll need to focus on, I think, in, in the detail. Um, but, uh, you know, the top line, you know, we know, we, we know that tax rises, you know, in various forms will be coming to pay for all the investments had to be made um, so far in support. I think I'd like to also add one thing, too, that uh, there was nothing in the budget to scare off foreign investors, I don't believe. And I think that uh, the uh, foreign investment, certainly, or cross-border investment into the UK accounts for about, what, 50 percent? of uh, transactions in uh, for the UK as a whole and about 75% last year uh, in London. And uh, when we came back to like capital gains tax treatment and all the rest of it, I had all sorts of horrors that were going to play out there. Uh, that didn't that didn't actually happen. And I don't think that's lost on cross-border investors either. So I can't see too much in the budget that should deter uh, that body of capital uh, from coming in to uh, continue to support uh, UK commercial property and more widely investment in the UK, whether it's infrastructure or whether it's uh, business expansion or whatever it happens to be. So um, again, that was a reason to uh, relax. Well, I'm talking myself into actually a pretty good position here, actually. <laughs> so uh, yeah, yeah, I'm happy. <laughs> Great. I mean, I feel like we've only really just um, scratched the surface, really, of, of, of all the things to kind of be unpacking uh, from the budget. I mean, just, just to wrap up, I know we kind of briefly touched on this point before, but um, I'd like to ask the both of you to just name that one missed opportunity from the budget that's going to be sticking in your minds um, from all of this. So, um, Melanie, what for you was the most important thing that was missed off that list? I would have liked to have seen much more around driving the decarbonisation agenda the greening of our homes. You know, we know that most of the um, building stock that will be around in 2050 has already been built. You know, so actually retrofitting our homes, um, you know, looking at our existing office and commercial stock, and you know, really thinking about and driving and incentivising us as individuals to use buildings differently, to expect different things from our from our homes and our, our workplaces and, and so on, um, and incentivizing investors to make, you know, to, to make it easy to people for people to be greener. I think, you know, I think there was a real missed opportunity there. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm disappointed because in the run up to COP26, maybe this is a rabbit uh, sitting in the hat until the autumn, but you know, I'd, I'd have expected to see more on that actually. Yeah, Walter, what about you? I guess it'd be a, a clear national investment strategy. That's something that we've all been waiting for for some time and maybe a further step toward uh, 
devolving things to the new combined authorities and maybe even some uh, new settlement agreements. But having said that, and listening to Melanie's, Melanie's comments, I think that the, the green agenda is is definitely come of age finally, you know, and I think Melanie and I are both of an age where we can remember when this first started, you know, it was a long time ago and it was a bit like uh, some some technologies in, uh, you know, um, that were developed in communications and the internet and all the rest of it. Uh, things that we thought were going to happen immediately haven't happened for like 20 or 30 years. But now sensing too, and you know, I have a, an older child that's going off to uni, uh, there's a generational change that's going on in outlook in a big way. And also I think the technology has moved on in such a way to where we're really at the cusp of some serious transformational activity in the economy. And I think commercial real estate and uh, is going to be right in the center of all that. So, yeah, I look forward to seeing how this plays out. So I guess to, to summarize initial reactions, it sounds like through its tax initiatives and, and other support measures, the, you know, the budget has provided a bit more certainty for struggling businesses, um, as well as a bit of a boost for the housing market and, and offering uh, lots of incentives for investment too, um, perhaps to help soften the, the blow of tax hikes, but perhaps stayed silent on a number of issues affecting property. I mean, uh, business uh, rates, empty rates in particular, um, you know, being one of those, as well as the, the super deductor and, and perhaps not factoring in commercial real estate and, and its role in, lev- in the levelling up agenda as much as it could be doing um, and some missed green opportunities as well. But, um, but yes, a very interesting one. And I'm sure there'll be a lot more to um, unpack as, as everyone sort of digests uh, everything that's come out of the budget a little bit more. Um, Melanie, Walter, thank you so much for uh, joining us today and, and sharing your thoughts. And thank you for listening. If you like this podcast, don't forget to subscribe to EG Property Podcast for more real estate insights. Thanks.